this might be an unpopular opinion. I don't know that it is realistic or even necessary for our partners to 1000% get it or completely, completely understand our side. And Mm -hmm. I also think that when we kind of fall into the trap of trying to convince our partner or the fight becomes, how do you not get it? We actually completely detract from getting our needs met. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions, and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today on the podcast, we have Stacy and Rachel from Decoding Couples. Abby and I are so excited about this conversation because we're going to dive into a variety of topics that impact couplehood, and it's things that people don't really talk about. So let's get started by hearing a little bit more about the two of you and how Decoding Couples came to be. Hello. Hi. We are, we are so excited to be on this too. This is so important to be able to talk about some of these things. Rach, do you want to tell our story? Our story. <laughs> we always change it. So we we already have, we rent space together in Glendale. And during quarantine, um, we really were, as everyone else was kind of really isolated. Um, we were isolated together doing telehealth in our respective offices. But we started having this realization that not only couples, you know, were struggling during this point, um, but that like we were also struggling in our own relationships. And then we kind of broke this third wall where we were like, if our clients are going through it and the world in some ways is going through it, you know, why isn't this more apparent? Like how come this in-between space of getting direct help in therapy or no direct, you know, no direct help at all doesn't exist. And so we were like, maybe we fill that space. So decoding couples really came from us feeling like, well, there's got to be other people like us. We know there is because this is what we do for a living. So why not just put it on Instagram and see what happens? (laughs) Yep, that's exactly it. We knew that the stuff had to be said out loud, make stuff normal for people going through stuff in their marriages, relationships, you know, heightened by COVID and started off as little videos and just grew and it has taken really well. So here we are. (laughs) Well, Stacey and Rachel, we are thrilled to connect. And we brought this up when we were having our conversation before we hit record, but the information that you share on Instagram it's just so valuable. And Amy and I, we both say like, we just had this conversation with our husbands or we were about to have this fight. I'm so glad that we have this information all in one place. And now for the Herself podcast listeners, we don't have to go through highlights or scroll Instagram, all these good questions that we know other people are having, they're all going to be available in one spot. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as practicing therapists, like you guys have so much goodness to share with our audience. So thank you again for being on today. And we do have a lot to cover, but the first thing (laughs) that we wanted to talk about was how relationships change after a couple becomes parents. So both Amy and I, we have done this now three times and we can attest to how different it is, how different marriages than before we had kids. So can you talk about some of the common changes that do occur? 
Sure. So I will start off by giving giving some stats to normalize um, these changes in relationships. So big study done in 2011 by the Gottmans, who are you know pioneers for couples work, and found that 67 percent of couples report a drop in satisfaction, um, particularly within that first three years after having the first kid. So this is something that majority of couples go through when welcoming that first kid. And unfortunately, uh, numbers also show that with each kid after that, marital satisfaction continues to decline, particularly in those first few years, um, and really doesn't pick back up until the kids leave the house, which feels a little daunting. Um, Just like but- 18 years away, it's really no problem. <laughs> Everyone's yeah, going on. <laughs> yeah. So it is, I mean, it's really, it's really, really common. It's really, really normal. And the more we talk about it, the more we find ways to kind of do protective factors. But some of the biggest, biggest changes I think that we see and Rach, um, feel free to chime in, but just, you know, more tension and fighting about like tasks and chores and responsibilities around the house, um, changes in sex life and intimacy, mm-hmm. particularly like not just frequency, but also what feels good, satisfaction, just needs like that can completely shift. Really not having that time for connection with your partner anymore, maybe grieving the loss of what your relationship was, general feeling that your partner just doesn't get it, like whatever side you're on and whatever you're going through, like a real disconnection and that your partner truly doesn't understand or empathize, you know, with kind of your, your side of the experience. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, you know, identity shifts, like Stacy's talking about these roles, like these really major changes that we're starting to see get a lot more a lot more, get some recognition. But I also think there's these internal processes that just don't get talked about a lot because of, you know, we, we coin a lot of right, the mommy shame or the mommy guilt feeling good enough, but even relationally that's happening. And so I don't think we're well equipped or well prepared on a cultural and societal level to know like, wow, I really miss doing A, B, and C. I really miss showering by myself. I really miss going to dinner with my friends. I miss going to a movie alone um, with my spouse and not leaking during it. I miss um, being able to just go to the gym. I miss being able to sleep in like all that identity stuff. We also tend to like not really talk about the loss that kind of Stacy alluded to. And then relationally what that does, because we're supposed to be so jazzed on parenthood that you feel like that doesn't have a place. And we see that a lot in our work build up later um, into resentment, it can, you know, depression, anxiety, because again, we're just supposed to be so positive about parenthood, and we're not supposed to struggle. And I think that's what a lot of people end up coming into, you know, treatment for is because they've been told to shove all those big identity shifts internally and relationally down. And that's a lot to bear when you're in charge of tiny humans. Oh my gosh, all of this. And it's what Abby and I are passionate about doing this podcast for, because we'll sit at these mics and share our struggles. But a lot of society, it feels like, 
you know, there's some ego involved to open up and say, Hey, I struggled with this. Or like Drew and I have had so many of the fights that you guys have already mentioned Mm -hmm. throughout our five years of becoming parents and we're willing to talk about it, but I don't think a lot of couples necessarily are. So yeah, already so valuable. I felt like after my first, I was just realizing that I was living with a lot of resentment and I didn't know how to get out of that, but I knew that it just didn't feel good. So I just want to encourage everyone. We're going to dive into some of these issues because all four of us know that you can work to a better place with your partner. Like you don't have to live with that underlying like resentment Mm -hmm. because I was, I was. So something that I still struggle with is one of the things you guys mentioned, and it's just that general feeling of like, Drew, you don't get it. Like you cannot see that I'm carrying such a big load for this family. It feels frustrating to me. You know, he'll like, he'll like the, just this week, he had softball on Monday and then asked if he could go to the driving range today. And I was like, don't you see? I'm like stacked. I'm stacked right now. Like that. I just can't believe you're even asking me that. Like, don't you see everything I'm doing? So if you guys can start with this one, I would love for you to talk us through like how to work through this issue. This very common issue. Yeah, it is so common. I mean, this was honestly part of Rachel and I's conversation this morning, driving in (laughs) when the term murdery got dropped. Like it was around the idea, right? Of like, don't you see this? Like, don't you see in our cases of just being like the moms, the female in this dynamic that we kind of get shouldered with more and how frustrating that can be. And yes, when not dealt with how that builds up in particular, this feeling of not, not being able to get it. Where do we start on this, Rachel? This is such a loaded, a loaded topic. Well, I feel first and foremost, you know, I think the murdery adjective that we were talking (laughs) about feeling this morning is because it's not, it goes so much deeper, right. Than maybe the tasks that we're being asked to do in the moment, or, you know, like for the example, oh, you, I've got so much stacked on my plate and now you're asking me to do A, B, and C. Um, it goes a lot deeper than just that. And so I think that's where like the murdery feeling starts to happen is one, we're probably not communicating it amazing because this is already something we've been internally. And again, probably isolating dealing with like, it's been something we're not sharing with our partner. And if we have been sharing it, it's probably not be sharing it super effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think you could trade the topic out. Like you could trade whether it's, Hey, I'm going to go run and do this. Are you cool with that? After you, you know, they haven't been with the kids for the last six hours, you could trade out that task or that thing. And the themes that are deeper are what we're usually not talking about in relationships. And I think those are the things that drive some of these murdery feelings. You know, we're not talking about that we um, feel unseen or we feel underappreciated or we feel burnt out or we feel depressed. And so because that's really scary and vulnerable to say, and let's be real, our partners as well as ourselves are probably not really good at hearing and responding to those things. Um, We're not all therapists and even therapists really screw it up quite often. So we're probably not very straightforward about the deeper stuff. So a a conversation about drop off turns into, you know, World War Three, but also stirs up like some really probably like deep and 
dark and sad stuff. And again, I think it's, it's about that deeper things. And we're just pretty crappy communicators, especially when we become new parents. Yeah, the deeper, the deeper part that Rachel's talking about, I think is really important. And I mean, this itself could be like an entire episode if you talk about <laughs> like understanding like what our attachment styles are and what attach unmet attachment needs get triggered when your partner doesn't see you or doesn't consider you when making plans. That is typically that deeper stuff that gets flared up. And then we're responding from that unmet need and maybe attachment wound versus what's going on in the here and now. And nothing, typically nothing gets accomplished other than the same fight over and over when we don't understand where our response is coming from. So I think that I would say, you know, like in the perfect world, if somebody has time to like process everything and really kind of understand the root of, of what those triggers are when those big responses come up, like that would be the first place to start if we don't have that time, because a lot of us don't have that time. I don't know. Okay. So this is, this might be an unpopular opinion. I don't know that it is realistic or even necessary for our partners to 1000% get it or completely, completely understand our side. And Mm -hmm. I also think that when we kind of fall into the trap of trying to convince our partner or the fight becomes, how do you not get it? We actually completely detract from getting our needs met. Um, because, okay. So there's the book. I don't know if you guys have read it, how to not hate your husband. Oh yeah. We had, we had the author on the podcast. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. So she writes like a lot of the research that she states is that men in particular, truly believe that they do more than what they actually do. I don't know if you guys talked about that, like looking at the numbers, like it is really inflated of, um, like in like a male female dynamic of, of what actually gets done and how, what somebody truly feels that their role is versus how somebody else perceives it or experiencing it. So it's almost kind of a losing battle and isn't going to help to convince the other person that they are wrong or to see your side. But what's more important is how we communicate, not how to make them see our side, but to be able to meet our needs. How are we assertively and in a healthy way being able to like make that target really big for our partner to be able to see that we need help, um, to know where they can step in and for you to know, for us to know where our boundaries need to be, to not have that resentful feeling of like, they just don't get it because yes, there's probably a really great chance that they don't get it. And that maybe isn't the point. Yeah. And for those of you listening, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's episode 47 with Jancy Dunn, who behind the scenes, she was an absolute hoot and she just has such valuable stuff. But what I was going to say too, in response to everything you guys shared is like, okay, so I did therapy for a year. Drew came to several of my sessions. Like we worked through so much of that Because before, like, yeah, I just didn't have a great communication pattern. I feel like we're in a much better place. So -hmm. when he came to me and he asked me about going to the driving range, I just said, no, like Mm -hmm. I'm full this week. (laughs) So no. And what Drew and I have worked on is like, then he can't make me feel bad for setting that boundary of like, I know I'm overwhelmed this week. So I'm going to say no to that one. 
so that's what we've kind of worked towards. And, and like, we're all saying like, this is a lot of work, you guys, like we're opening Mm -hmm. up. I'm saying we, we had unhealthy communication patterns at a point after children. And now I feel like we've worked to a place where we do have healthy communication, but to highlight what they said is I am not going to be able to have him exactly get every demand that a mother has or that the preferred parent has. Like he's just not going to maybe get it to that level, but then what does it look like for us to not get into that fight? For me, it's like, babe, you can't always give me pushback when I say a no. Yeah. 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 Which I think is one of the main reasons why, and it tends to be women for a you know variety of reasons, but we hold back of fear of rocking the boat, right? But then in that holding back, it amplifies that feeling of they don't get it, they don't see me, um, when we almost rob ourselves of that opportunity by not giving our partner the chance to really just hear the no. Right. And like Drew could be bummed. He could be bummed, but he's also a grown man and can deal with those feelings. Right. Like it's not your role to deal with that. And there's, there's a lot of shame around taking care of yourself and making your needs present when you become parents. So Mm -hmm. when it's just, when you're in a typical heterosexual dynamic with two people, because that's mainly what we're talking about, you see it's much more accepted, right? To like, oh, you can go work out while I go to brunch, or you can go do this. And once kids come into the picture, there's this level of shame that happens, not only um, in general, from just like parenting communities, especially with moms, but even within the dyad of just you and your partner, right? Like in that, you know, you can't shame me for saying I'm full, and you can't go to the can't go golfing, like even between you two, there's almost like this weight, like it's a bad thing that I'm kind of saying, no, my space is sacred. Like, no, my boundaries is this. No, I'm full. Like even just in our own homes and our own relationships, there's like this, this guilt, there's this shame, there's even pouting or passive tantrums going on from our partners and even ourselves about saying, Hey, um, I can't handle that right now. And we, we implicitly and explicitly do it to each other. So the fact that we're calling all this out, I think is important because it's a big reason why um, I think it's really hard to communicate about this stuff. Because even when you bring it to light, your partner may be swatting it away in ways that feel really, really icky. Mm -hmm. And to normalize the other side of that, of what women or moms face, um, I do also think there's something for men and I, you know, obviously Drew is not here, so he can't tell his side of the story. Um, but almost like the pushback that men can get to say like, no, I have to stay home and help my wife or I can't yes. go golfing. Yes. Right? Like there, there is weird societal shame and stigma on both ends. They look very different, but that is also something that men have to navigate of what that means to lose their freedom to you know, be a more hands-on dad or, you know, partner, whatever, whatever that looks like. Um, but it is real on both sides to have to navigate. Well, and with all of this, when you set a boundary before kids, it's almost an invitation for the other person to get to do anything they want to that night. Where after kids, it almost feels like, okay, if you're not picking up the slack, then I have to do this, this, and this. So it just makes it more difficult that way. But as we learned from so many of our boundary experts, the other person doesn't have to like the boundary in order to respect it. 
So yes. even if they don't want to do it, knowing that it's going to help the relationship, help the family, and that it's not always going to be one-sided, it's just the invitation that you can open up in those in those conversations. Mm-hmm. And I know for us personally, like if from having people like you guys on, our communication has gotten so much better. So thank you for that. <laughs> but there are also still some of those triggers. So I know for Colin and I, it's that redundancy of having the same thing brought up over and over again. And you guys even brought it up with the daycare drop-off. Like it can, it can feel like World War III when on the scale of dissatisfaction to anger to rage to I'm going to murder you. Sometimes it can feel <laughs> like all the way to that end. <laughs> and it's not even 8 a.m. So it's just thank you for having these conversations brought to the table because I know know that so many couples are having it or having these types of issues. And a quick break to bring up our first podcast sponsor. One of the ways that Colin and I have really helped in this department is making sure we start our day on the right foot. And my new morning routine, I've brought this up on my Instagram account, but a few months ago, I made a promise to myself that if I wake up before 6 a.m. and no child is awake, I'm going to get a workout in. And I've been so consistent. It's sometimes the only slice of my entire day where it's devoted to me. And to make it extra sweet, I've been pairing it with a really good breakfast afterwards. It's something that I can look forward to. I know it's going to fill me up. And it's been just such a treat to start my day with. And most people know about picky bars for their bars. But lately, I have fallen in love with their other products. So Colin actually found their oatmeal before I did. And it's become a little routine that when he wakes up, he'll make oatmeal for himself. He'll make it for me. And ladies, you know how much these little acts of service can mean, especially right away in the morning, especially because it's just a fun way to connect right away. So let's be real. I don't get breakfast made for me every single morning. So if I'm on, if I'm on my own, I'll throw in some PB&J or the sassy molasses granola, put on top of yogurt, totally hitting the spot. So I'm not sure if you guys have tried these yet, but the bars are always so popular. The granola and then also the oatmeal has become a new fan fave and herself listeners get an extra 20% off their order of $25 or more. So if you go to pickybars.com, backslash herself. That's 20% off. Again, pickybars.com backslash herself. So coming back into the episode, another really common one is all the tension and all that fighting about the tasks and chores that come up, especially once we bring kids into the mix. So with our third baby, Owen, I've had to exclusively pump. So that's a lot of extra work. I'm working all day to make the milk and I'm working all day, it feels like, to pump the milk. And there's times when this rage is building up because I can see Colin taking a long break on the couch and there's bottles and flange parts stacked up in the sink. So how can couples start working through this one? Maybe it's not the pumping, but maybe it's a different issue in that couple relationship. There's like a million ways to go at it. One thing that I know Stacey and I like to do with our couples and that we've tried even our own, I am a big fan of sitting down and talking with my partner about what I actually can't stand doing and seeing if they're willing to take that off the table. Like that is a practical thing that can just loosen up a dynamic that feels super rigid and sticky. I'll literally sit down with my partner and go, here are the things that I abhor. Like I am not a dishwasher. Me personally, you, you know, if you had my husband on, he would like have a whole full hour about how I've probably not done a hundred dishes in the 12 years that we've been together because I hate it. I literally hate it. And it was a big game changer for us to sit down. And I said, I, I don't know what it is. I don't ever want to do dishes. And he was like, well, I never want to put them away. And I was like, whoa, I can totally put them away. And it loosened up this feeling because when I saw these dishes in the sink every day, I felt like 
he was telling me, you need to do them. These are your expectations. This is for you only. And I really built this like narrative about it. And it really hurt our communication. I started to really create the self-talk around it. And so one of the biggest game changers that we still use, because obviously our kids are getting older, life changes. Um, I will throw on the table. Here's two things that honestly make me feel, here's our murdery adjective again, pretty murdery. Um, and for me, it is starting laundry, you know, to do the household chores and doing the starting the dishes. And he's like, that's totally fine. I can't stand sorting the kids clothes and putting them away. And I also don't want to put dishes away. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can do that with so much peace and lightness. It is a game changer because it's not just about the dishes or the laundry. It's about the self-talk and the feelings and values that we have under those tasks that we literally feel our partner is not seeing or hearing in us by quote unquote, making us do it. Cause that's not getting said. Instead, we're going at it about the dishes. We're going at it about, you know, whatever task, but we're not really talking about what it means to us, what we think our partner is thinking about us, what we are thinking about ourselves related to that task. Instead, we just literally keep going at it about the laundry. And so that's a really practical thing to kind of loosen this like tug about it. Yeah. What Rachel said of getting caught up in, in feeling like things need to be exactly fair versus just being able to advocate about what you don't want to do, what you do want to do and having that assertive communication about it. You know, a lot of where we go wrong in regards to this kind of dividing up like the tasks and chores and responsibilities is not even necessarily the action that happens at the end of it, but how we go about making a plan and communicating around it. Um, so to use to use your example of the pump parts, right? Saying, um, if you're approaching that situation saying, I can't believe you're sitting here. Do you see everything that I'm doing? Um, can't you just, you know, do, do the pump parts and the bottles in the sink, right? Like if we approach it that way, our partner is probably going to be pretty demotivated to step in, but to be able to say, you know, to come from that place of, I, Hey, I'm feeling really frustrated that you're taking a break while I'm working so hard with this. Can you please do the dishes in the sink while I'm pumping? It's probably going to have a better response followed up with a bigger conversation, you know, outside of that moment, once everybody is feeling, you know, calm and it's a good time to talk about it. But I think how we approach in those moments, particularly in the early years of having kids, when there's just so much to do and, the roles are going to be lopsided automatically if you are a mom that is breastfeeding or exclusively pumping. Um, I mean, your your plate is going to be more full because of that. So it's how do we communicate, you know, what we're needing and asking our partner directly to meet our needs. So again, that resentment doesn't build that feeling of they just don't get it. And then it becomes those, you know, explosive fights and, and bickering about the little things. Uh, and it's so interesting too, because Abby and I sometimes highlight our different personalities because she likes things done in a certain time. And I have more of Colin's personality, her husband, where I'm like, but Abby, if we say we're going to do it, like give us the space and time to do it. It doesn't <laughs> necessarily have to be on like your timeline isn't right and ours isn't wrong. But if I am dropping the ball and I didn't do it, then I can see where you need to have a conversation. But like, give me some space. Like, let, mm -hmm. me, let me do this because he likes to take breaks and then he likes to work where Abby would rather get all of her work done and then take a big break. Yeah. So I think it's also just like holding space that 
we got into this partnership. We do have different personalities and like we can't turn our partner into like a replica of us, nor would we want to. So (laughs) some of this, you know, it takes practice and, and honoring who your partner is as a person. So the last one that we have for you guys for closing out the common fights that couples get into after they have kids is prioritization of the couple. It can feel like you just want alone time after you've been caring for the children all day rather than couple time. Women always tell us like, my partner just feels like another demand on me versus they're like looking forward to the time together. So what are some helpful things that you guys do when you're helping couples that are working through this issue? Yeah, I think, you know, I almost see the solution in that question. I do think that having alone time, having recharge time is actually a really necessary component to having the emotional energy for the connection with your partner. Um, If somebody is craving that, right? Like to me, that just says that there's an unmet need and maybe having that alone time, having time with friends, whatever that is, figuring out a way to schedule that in and work that in, there's going to be more space to be able to connect with your partner. I think that there's, that that's very, um, when it does, that doesn't come like a natural solution to people, or again, there's that shame and stigma around it that I need alone time. But I got to tell you, when I have a night to myself, I am a way better wife and a way better mom. So I think it's okay to figure out what it is to take that alone time and hit the recharge to be able then to have special time to connect with your partner. Stacey is hitting on something that's, you know, is they're absolutely connected. Like we are better partners. We are better parents when our own buckets are filled. And I think that, again, that's something that's a little unpopular or, you know, goes against this whole narrative of like a perfect parent or especially a perfect mom um, that, you know, you really got to you know, thinking of yourself is, is a negative, but you've got to have fuel for that relationship and, you know, fuel for that marriage, fuel for being a parent. Um, and, and that comes from sometimes like going and being alone or going and being with friends on a day-to-day basis. I also really love using the Gottman's. I feel like we could just plug them all day long. Um, (laughs) use state of the union. It's a daily check-in because I think there's a lot of pressure when you're already squeezed for time. And when you've got kids, especially little kids, I really resonate with that feeling of here's just one more thing on my plate and like carving out a date night, trying to get a sitter, uh, making sure like a million things are in place so that you can go, you know, post like COVID, go to dinner or have any kind of like alone time can feel really daunting and really stressful. And so couples can do this at home right now. You can literally Google State of the Union Gottman's and it's a practice of checking in with each other. The State of the Union is used to meet weekly, but I have my couples use it daily. So it's anywhere from like 10 to 20 minutes where a day you are just connecting. So you're just taking a moment wherever it's in the morning, middle of your day, via, you know, phone together and just talking about how you are because the state of the union and you correct me if I'm wrong, Stacey, on a weekly basis is also an overview of like relationally how you guys are doing. But when Mm -hmm. it's used daily basis, I think it really helps build 
a lot of emotional connectivity and intimacy that's missing when life is crazy. And it's a really easy, tangible way to prioritize the couple. You're saying like, how's your day? Here's my day. No big things are brought up during it, but you can give a preview of maybe some of the things that you do want more time for. So instead, prioritizing the couple doesn't feel like this monumental task that you're already super tired about, that you're not sure where you put in. You count on these smaller moments of connection on a daily basis that help rebuild that emotional intimacy and that connection and help you see your partner as a partner again and not just can you shake that bottle up? Like, do we have clean underwear for so-and-so? You go, oh yeah, they're a person that needs this. And so that daily ritual out of it has been a game changer. I love that. I mean, something else that can be a little counterintuitive also is you need to schedule time together. People want the spontaneity, the sexiness of, you know, whether it's having sex or a date night or whatever it is schedule that have something big picture we have like day to day that emotional connection being there for one another as Rachel's talking about but bigger picture like maybe you have a once a month you know getaway and you get away just the two of you for the night or you know Thursdays after work are definitely your time to get sexy with one another and it's predictable and it's stable and sometimes we really need that after having kids that scheduling is so important Well, it's something to look forward to as well. Like it's something to look forward to. You both know it's on your calendar. You don't schedule over it. And having the 10 to 15, 10 to 20 minutes with the state of the union that you guys are bringing up, like that is so doable for every single couple and something that we should be having as part of our weekly routine, if not our daily routine. And we love the Gottmans, absolutely love the Gottmans. And one (laughs) thing that we've heard from them and we saw that you guys also shared was something like relationships are more successful when men allow themselves to be influenced by their partner. So explain a little bit more about this. And maybe is there anything else that we can do maybe to help if you feel like your partner isn't being all that receptive to this influence? Sure. So they basically found in their study of the Seattle Love Lab, right? The whole, I don't want to go into all the history of the Gottmans, but over decades, they have researched couples um, to find out like who stays together, what makes a successful successful marriage, what, what is a predictor um, or indicator of divorce within five years, all of that good stuff. And one of the things was that in heterosexual male-female relationships, that when men are able to take in influence from their, their wives or their female partners, that relationships are more successful and less likely to end in in a separation or a divorce. So accepting influence um, in in regards to what they're saying is is being open to communication, that there is less avoidance of hard topics. Um, There's less defensiveness in receiving those vulnerable conversations and actually accepting and allowing opinions, ideas, um, advice from their wives to actually, you know, be counted and then acted upon. So that's, that's kind of what taking influence means, but it's basically kind of the end result of it is that there's able to be healthy communication when men who are typically more in the like stonewalling or defensive role per their research, um, if they're able to let those guards down. Because they also said that, you know, women are more likely in general to just naturally accept influence from their partner. And that's why men being able to was kind of the key here. 
Okay. So let's get really, really tangible with our listeners. Name like a common fight that comes up with this. And then how can we invite them even further into this conversation? Parenting, it's really, it can be hard, especially if there's different values for a partner to accept some influence, especially if let's say um, in this scenario, my husband maybe is more traditional and then grew up in a way or was raised in a certain way, like spanking. We talk about that all the time. Um, if spanking was something that was done in your family or that you grew up with, and then in your marriage, that's not something that you want to do with your kids, like accepting the influence of the partner. Um, I, we see that a lot. That's a really big hot spot here. And so leaning in, like, let's say uh, my partner's like, no, that's how I grew up. Kids need to be really strong. And that's how we enforce that. And I'm like vehemently against that. Well, then how do we change? How do we get my partner to really accept some of my influence? I really encourage leaning in to it, getting curious about what it is that he feels that this is a valuable thing that I'm like under my skin going, oh my gosh, there's no way, no way are we doing that. But I'm not going to get anywhere with my partner, nor are they going to feel like they can be part of the conversation and that influence can be possible. And so I lean into it and get curious about like, why? Like, why is it just because, you know, you grew up that way? What are some other ways that we can carry over the things that you liked about how you were raised that don't include this part? And I think that does help then accept influence you know, and again, in this scenario, like from the female partner, because they feel like they're part of the conversation. And I'm actually taking the time to understand why they feel the way they feel about something I feel completely against, but I'm still including them in the part of the conversation. And I think it helps men not feel like they need to defend themselves. And then again, allows that like fluidity about like a really big hotspot issue. Yeah, that's such a good example. And I know one that our listeners have voiced that they struggle with. Our second sponsor for this episode is BetterHelp. Stacy and Rachel are therapists. You guys all know that Abby and I go to therapists and that Drew and I have worked through couples therapy, working on a lot of the things that we're talking about today. Most importantly, our communication pattern, which has really helped our relationship. So whether you want to go to therapy to work through an issue that you're having as an individual or you're ready to go as a couple, BetterHelp has trained counselors and therapists that are ready to work with you. One of the great things about the app is that you can get connected with someone very quickly. And that's something that's really great when you're ready to start working. So you can go to betterhelp.com backslash herself and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp.com backslash herself, and you can join the over 1 million people, including Abby and I, that are using BetterHelp. And getting back into the episode, so I can personally see the importance of couples therapy because all of us are so different as individuals, and then we all have very unique partnership. So there are different ways to address concerns and issues with different personality types. And that's something that I've learned over time. So as you guys know, my husband is very type A and loves a plan. So over time, I've found out that if I can ask him 
to have a meeting with me so that we can address something, it goes a lot better. Like, I'm like, babe, there's something I want to talk about. Could we do it at this time? Um, it's like a state of the union, like you guys were mentioning before. Mm-hmm. And then he's learned about me. Like he knows that at the end of the day, I'm fried. It's not the best time to like nitpick or bring something up that like, I I know I'm not receptive at the end of the day. So like (laughs) you kind of learn these things over time as you're together, like some things don't work. So are there any tips you guys have for our listeners for figuring out the best ways to address things with your partner based on their personality? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you, you know, you've kind of hit the nail on the head with, with your example. It's learning what our partner's needs and wants are, whether that's dictated by personality or just if we kind of know what sets them off or not. Um, and really, really just listening to that. We talk a lot about how timing is really important and can be a huge communication kind of no-no or communication barrier right? Like to be the person that drops the bomb right before bed, or like you're saying at the end of the day, um, that's really, you know, a bad time for you to have tough conversations or maybe, you know, when someone's walking out the door for work, it's really, really looking at timing and pairing that with, with your partner's personality. And if you are seeing a trend that these tough conversations or big conversations are not working, I think it's best to ask your partner just directly what works for them or what didn't work for them about that timing, um, about how the conversation went and let them, let them give you the answer, right? So we're not having to assume trying different things and continuing to hit that same wall. Hey, I noticed that when we had this conversation after the kids went to bed, you didn't really seem, you know, clued in. You kind of seemed a little bit checked out. Is there a better time that would work? for you to be able to have these conversations, um, right? Just something as, something as simple as that and let, let them guide you and take the guesswork out of it. Yeah. And like, and some of the stuff we're talking about today is like unsexy or like we, you don't think of these things like a state of the union for your Mm -hmm. marriage, but like once we started doing that, it got us on such a better path and we don't have to do it quite as frequently, but there was a period there where you know, when you're in a very overwhelmed season, like sitting down together when you're both clear and calm is such a game changer, at least for us. One thing I wanted to bring up today is that something that Drew and I learned early on is that the way that our parents fought inside of their relationships, what we saw did impact us. Mm -hmm. So we had some premarital counseling before we got married and we had a big aha moment. It sounds kind of silly because that seems obvious, but it really wasn't to us. So is there a good way for couples to start to open up the box of like why they might be falling into some of these conflict patterns that they grew up around? just said, I have to tell you is not super, like super common. I think a lot that aha moment that you're like, you know, it seems kind of silly. It's really obvious. I don't think it is to a lot of couples. So you're definitely not alone. And it's, I think we just did a post on this and had a good conversation about how it's really only maybe in the last 10 years or so that this is getting a lot more mainstream attention. I think a good accessible place to start, right. If you are thinking, 
we're probably picking up some stuff that we saw when we were young, both if you never saw your parents fight or have conflict, if you saw your parents fight a lot, if there was a lot of chaos, if there wasn't a lot of chaos, everything was like perfect. Um, if there was a lack of safety, whatever combo or mix your childhood may have looked like, think about when you're at kind of, you're not your proudest, like not your best in an argument with your your partner and what your go-to moves are. So if we were a fly on the wall and we were watching you and your partner go at it, what are some of the things you go and do that you're not super proud of when you've, you know, gone to your limit? And you can ask the same question to your partner. The things that you identify there, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, there's a pretty huge chance that you learned and picked that up somewhere else. It was normalized in childhood. So um, for me, for example, like I, my go-to used to be like, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving. I used to be like, I'm out of here. And I learned that from how I was raised. And I did not make that connection until years in therapy. And so I think that's a good place for couples to start because you don't usually see that as a very detrimental thing in the relationship because it feels really safe and familiar to do when you're stuck and you're angry. But I bet you your partner knows and I bet you have some awareness. So that's a good way to kind of work backwards and understand here's a thing I do when I'm in high conflict or I'm feeling really stressed or I'm feeling really unseen or burnout, my go-to move and then trace it backwards and get curious about where you picked that up because we didn't make these things up. We got it from somewhere. It's familiar and comfortable in a very unconscious way because we were shown it. And I think that's a great way to go. Oh yeah. Mom does that. Or dad used to do that or aunt used to do that and start from there. Yeah. I absolutely love what Rachel just said to work backwards like that. And I also completely agree with what she said that that is not, like a silly aha moment to have. I think that that's really rare and to have it before marriage is fantastic. Um, It's not usually until we're in it, that those moments happen. So I also just want to say that opening that box of understanding kind of these generational patterns as we would therapeutically call it can be a really, really daunting task. And if it feels that way to anybody hearing this or Or if you know that you're repeating some patterns and you don't know where to start, but you see that it's impacting your relationship. I also think doing the individual work is a-okay before diving into marital work or couples therapy, because that can be daunting and scary. And sometimes it can be an easier kind of box to open if you understand individually how childhood is influencing current relationships. So there doesn't have to be the pressure that it needs to be fixed and solved together. It's also okay to start and get curious individually and understand yourself and your automatic responses with a little more certainty before trying to bring it into the relationship if that feels like too much. And with all of these, when you're in the heat of the moment, it's so easy to pinpoint that default move in your partner being like, you're acting like your father again. Okay. That's Mm. from your mother. But then, like you said, thinking internally and taking that step back, maybe when you're not in the heat of the moment, because it's much easier to look outwards in those types of settings, but looking internally and saying, okay, what are my go-to moves? What do I feel comfortable with? Or what do I fall back on? And how can I make those changes before we get into the next conversation or that next disagreement? You guys, we could literally talk about this stuff all day. And we really, really hope that we can have you back on the podcast because there's so many more topics that we can go through with both of you. But for today, 
I wanted to end on what couples should continue to talk about over the course of their relationship. It can be so easy to fall back on the, how was your day? Did you pack the diaper bag? What do you want for dinner? But what are some of those topics that we just need to be making sure that we keep on our radar and making sure that we keep bringing up over time? Rachel made a fantastic post on this on our Instagram recently, and it was Oh my gosh, it was one of our like most interacted with posts. So this is a fantastic question to not fall into those into those ruts of just the how are you? How was your day? Okay, wrap it up onto the next. Um, I some of the ones off the top of my head, and then Rach um jump in since you made that fantastic post. Um, is sex life. How are you feeling like our sex life is going? What are you needing? Is this working for you still? Are you wanting anything different, right? To continue to have that vulnerable conversation, checking in just with your partner's mental health in general, like just how are you doing? How are you managing your stress or your anxiety or whatever it is that you know about your partner? How's, how's your family dynamic going? Really checking in with how they're, how they're coping in life and how they are truly doing. Um, what else, Rach? Yeah. Sex life, finances. So sex life was like, how are you feeling? Like Stacey was saying, like, how do you feel like our sex life is going? You know, is there play? Is there stuff that you're wanting more of, less of? Is there stuff I'm wanting more or less of? Finances, what's money like for us right now? Um, Are we saving for something? Are we in debt about something? Stress, what's stressing me out right now? What are the things that are really feeling heavy on my plate? Um, on a daily basis, on like a bigger picture basis, what are the same things for you? What's really weighing on you? Um, joy, like what brings you happiness right now? And I think this is such a an important one because I think a lot of times, especially as life gets crazy, we go on autopilot with each other and we forget that our partner is evolving just like we are. And so it's important to keep checking in about like, hey, what makes you tick? Like what makes you got a little pep in your step? So like, what's bringing you joy right now? And, you know, it's a big deal when your partner's like, I don't know, like, I don't have anything or you're saying that like, that's a time that if we don't sit down and have these conversations, you wouldn't even maybe miss and that we kind of like gloss over. And I think the last one is the, my favorite, is there any part of you that is feeling unseen? Is there a part of you that you miss that you don't feel shows up a lot right now? Like those five things are guaranteed to keep your relationship in the present and growth oriented versus, yep, I said I do. And that person's never changed and I'm never going to change. We're just going to keep trucking. Like that's just not realistic. These are so good, especially when you're in that rut and just not knowing what to ask. So again, it's about the sex life, finances, stress, joy and you. And one thing that Colin and I started, it's been years now, is on Sunday nights, we always ask the question, what can I do to make your life easier? And it's just a simple question. It can sometimes be a, like a conversation that needs to be brought up. It can be something that we need to buy for our house. It can be a way that we can step in a little bit more that week. But having the focus be on the other person and having that invitation to just share what, what do I need for my partner right now? It has made so much of our um, just conversation better. And then those little marital disagreements, it's just ease them over a little bit. So thank you guys again for being on the podcast. Can you let our listeners know all the places where they can find you? 
Yes, they can find us um, on Instagram. That I think is our biggest platform where we are most frequent. Um, decoding underscore couples. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where we we've kind of gotten away from it, but we will be posting monthly again, um, which is just decoding couples. Uh, and then our website for workshops, uh, worksheets, and other fun monthly tips, uh, which is just decodingcouples.com. Okay, you guys, if you liked this episode and you would share it on your Instagram stories, tagging herself podcast and at decoding underscore couples, we would greatly appreciate it.